Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Isabella Odero on the show today of the Poderi Odero Winery in Barolo. Hello, how are you? Hi, ciao Levi, I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah. So why don't you sketch for me the history of Poderi Odero as, we, as it came along to be as it is today? Yeah, um, our winery is uh, one of the oldest and uh, most uh, ancient uh, wa- uh, cellar, family-owned uh, cellars in the Lange Hills. Uh, we come from uh, Lamora village and uh, it's uh, difficult to find an exact date when the business was uh, established. But uh, we have many old documents at the winery, like uh, old invoices, uh, notarial deeds, parish acts that take us back to 1700s. Wow. Yeah. So you have past due invoices from the 1700s. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, you've owed us money for 300 (laughs) years. Yeah, it is tough to get some clients to pay. (laughs) Yeah, it takes many, many years (laughs) sometimes. Um, So we have accurate documentation that take us back to end of 1700, and uh, the first uh, ancestor uh, we know is uh, Giovanni Battista Odero, uh, who was born at the end. 1700 and he dedicated all his life to the cultivation of the vineyards and uh, to the production of uh, Nebbiolo wines and uh, it was really a avant-garde vine grower because uh, just some years before the unity of Italy which happened in uh, 1861 uh, he was uh, concerned with the um, retrieval of uh, sulfur from Sicilian volcanoes in order to fight uh, a serious illness, which is oidium, which is a fungineous disease that seriously attacked the vines in that period and uh, jeopardized the production. So uh, there there is a a story that we have in his diary, uh, together with the priest of La Mora and together with other uh, vine growers of the area, um, he tried to buy uh, sulfur from Sicily and uh, to obtain a good price and uh, he asked them to help him to bring sulfur from Sicily to Piemonte. So it's very interesting to read his uh, notes because he was very careful and he used to write in his diary all the operations he did every day, number of workers, 
it's very, very interesting. And by the way, uh, my, my mother and my aunt, they are now writing a little book. I didn't uh, know that. <laughs> a little um, diary of memories of the Odero family. Because, <laughs> so, I mean, just to take it kind of step by step there, sulfur is naturally occurring in volcanoes, and, and he was using it to treat vines for oidium, which is powdery mildew, right? Yes, it's um, oidium is a fuginous disease, which still today is a problem in the Lange Hills, especially with uh, many rains we have uh, in the in the spring season, like uh, April, May. Um, um, unfortunately, in the Lange Hills, we have humidity, so fuginous uh, attacks uh, happen, and uh, you you have to treat them in the proper way, and uh, especially in a prompt. Uh, way to, you have to be to to inter, intervene in the in the in the vineyards at the prompt moment and um su- sulfur is uh, it, it was it's a good way to to cure it still even today people yeah, still use even it today. in the vines for that yeah by the way we are now practicing organic cultivation in our nebbiolo vineyards and we are using sulfur yeah so w- what happened next i mean Giovanni Battista uh, in the 1700s, what kind of wine would he have been making uh, in terms of what would it have tasted like? <laughs> I wish I could uh, taste uh, his um, his wines, but unfortunately we do not have um, any because uh, he, at the time he didn't bottle the wine, so the wine was produced and uh, sold in bulk in larger containers. Um, and, uh, and at the time, uh, he, the family owned um, only vineyards located in La Mora, and it was mainly the typical varieties, so Nebbiolo, Dolcetto, I think Fresa, yeah. Um, then uh, in 1878, the, the, the company, the, the seller, started to have uh, um, a, f- a phase, a similar um, phase like it is uh, today. Um, so uh, it, w- it was a very crucial year because uh, they started to bottle wine. So this is the very first year the, the Odero wine was sold in a bottle and labeled as Odero. And would it have been, when Giovanni Battista was making it, would it have been dry? Probably um, the first Nebbiolo was also a sparkling bar- wines. So the before Barolo is produced, as we know today, it was a little sparkling uh, wine with a good uh, structure, rich tannins, of course, and uh, probably not meant to age as much as uh, today. So almost in a way like what we would, might think of as like an artisanal Lambrusco today. Like a head of Vivace character. Yes. Red, yes. red, yes. red grape that. Exactly. Was exactly. We were somewhat Vivace. fresh. Yes, yes. Then uh, after the second half of 1800s, uh, everything changed. So they really started to focus more on quality. And uh, even the bottling process really helped a lot to maintain uh, the, the, the quality of the wine and uh, to help the structure and the longevity. And so Barolo finally came as we know today. Because if you're drawing from like a large container, the wine starts to get oxidized. But if it's bottled, you can keep it for longer. Yes, yes. And and many, many uh, small details of quality that uh, were introduced uh, in that period. So who would have been in charge of the estate at that time? And what would it have looked like in the 1870s period? I mean, did you have vineyards outside of Lamora at that time or...? Uh, mainly it was Santa Maria, where the winery is located, La Mora village, and probably Castiglione Falletto. 
And uh, the, the owner at the time was the grandfather of my grandfather. And his name is Giacomo because everybody is named Giacomo in my family. Because <laughs> your grandfather's named Giacomo. Yes, too, exactly. Right? And also my brother is named Giacomo. So. Oh, okay. I've never met your brother. Yeah, many, many Giacomo in the Odero <laughs> family. <laughs> And um, and he was uh, probably the only one in charge of the family, but uh, with workers, because, uh, of course, uh, in the vineyards, you're required to have uh, many, some workers. But um, so nowadays, we are owners of 35 hectares of uh, vineyards, which in the Lange Hills, you know, this is considered to be a medium-sized uh, property. At the time, um, of course, it was a much smaller property. Because at that time there was very large uh, estates. Yes, yes. And we are one of the first. We are one of the most historical uh, in the area. We, we started to produce wine with our own label uh, with uh, very few other producers. Um, another important year for my family is uh, 1911. Uh, when um, Giacomo Dero, the grandfather of my uh, grandfather, he officially presented his uh, Barolo at uh, the um, international uh, exhibition in Torino, oh, okay. Salone Internazionale in Torino. And from there, he started to, to sell the wines to, to local areas like Lombardia, Milano, Genova, but also Switzerland and England. We found some you know, invoices or documents of wine being shipped to, to England. So, I mean, at that time, I've seen pictures where the Odero Cantina was being used also as a school school facility for local children? Oh, yes, in Santa Maria, exactly. It was a um, um, house which is now owned by my cousin, and uh, they, there used to be the elementary school for the young uh, kids of Santa Maria, yes. <laughs> and I guess we should explain what Santa Maria is. It's... Yeah, Santa Maria is a little neighborhood, um, which is in the main village of La Morra, um, and it's just uh, in the mid part of the hill. And so our winery, our family winery is located there and we own some vineyards around the house, but the major part of our vineyards are extremely fragmented, so located in different villages of the Barolo area, not only there. But this is where everything started for us. And what are some of the vineyards that you work with today? Okay, um, we uh, are proud to, to own some of the most important, some of the most historical crews in the Barolo di OCG area. And uh, the names are Vigna Rionda in Serra Lunga d'Alba, Bussia in Monforte d'Alba, Brunate in La Morra. Uh, in Castiglione Falletto we own Villero and Rocchi di Castiglione that uh, today we battle and, um, as a single vineyard, but we also own Bricco del Fiasco and Brunella Vineyard in Castiglione Falletto that we put in, uh, in the Barolo Classico. We use the grapes from these vineyards for the Barolo, the blended Barolo, the Barolo Classico. Like a, a straight Barolo Nomorale that's exactly. not labeled with the vineyard grill. Exactly, yes. Um, we also own an important vineyard in the Barbaresco area, which is Gallina in Neve Village, and a small production because we own less than two hectares, and this is the only Barbaresco we produce. And also some vineyards in the Asti region, uh, in Vincchio for the Barbera d'Asti, and in Trezzo Tinella for Moscato. 
So our property is, uh, as I said, 35 hectares, but the distinctive characteristic is that it's extremely fragmented. So vineyards are really scattered in different areas and in so diversified. Uh, we mm, firmly believe this is our strength. This is our complexity because really we can offer different nuances, different expressions of our great Piemonte terroir. And uh, I have to thank my grandfather Giacomo and his brother Luigi because uh, in back uh, after the Second World War, so 1950s, they really wanted to buy vineyards uh, which had different characteristics. So they bought Vignarionda and uh, Bussia and vineyards in, uh, in Castiglione Falletto and in the Asti region at that time. Uh, and uh, really, they understood the potentials of the area. I think they were some of the first to really understand that the, 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 great, the greatness of Nebbiolo is to represent the small differences in the soil. And so they really wanted to find vineyards with different soil characteristics and with different uh, positions in the hills. And, and, and when did they start breaking them out as single vineyard uh, bottlings? Um, they started later in uh, the first single vineyard produced by my family in the Rocche di Castiglione in a 1982 vintage. So before, only one Barolo was produced with the best grapes from all our vineyards. So from Serralunga, from Monforte, from La Morra, only one Barolo, which is the Barolo Classico. And still today, my grandfather is still convinced that this is <laughs> the best expression of Barolo. Barolo wine was not born as a single vineyard selection. So really the, the philosophy, the idea was to have the best grapes from the best areas with different characteristics but complementary characteristics, blend them together in order to have a very well-balanced wine and the very best expression of the vintage. So all the producers, they only had one Barolo which was really very significant to represent the style of, of, the, of the winery, of the house. And uh, we started in the area after the Burgundy influence to focus on single vineyard selection, I think, in 1970s. Um, one of the first was the Conterno. And, and then uh, we, we started to have our Rocca di Castiglione in 1982, followed by Vigna Rionda and Bussia in 1985. So if I were to open up something from the 60s, uh, Odero, it would have uh, Vigna Rionda in it. Yes. 60s and 70s. Yes, yes. Um, yes, the last vineyard uh, my family purchased was Brunate in 1968. So before all the others, they were already used to have the Barolo Classico. So. And what do you think of the different <clears throat> characteristics of some of those different communes that are are represented because you have a vineyard in, you know, several, actually a couple in uh, La Mora, you have in Castiglione Filetto, you have in Serralunga, uh, yeah. you have in Monforte. So yeah. if someone were to trying to better understand at the commune level, what some of the characteristics in terms of taste would be, what would you say to them? Okay. Um, in the Barolo area, we can find two different macro areas. So I'm talking about very general characteristics. And of course, every vintage has a personal uh, characteristic, personal distinctive uh, feature. 
But um, uh, I think the two macro areas are La Morra, Barolo, uh, a part of Castiglione Falletto and Novello and Verduno. They are part of the Tortonian area, which is a, a younger kind of soil. While uh, a part of Castiglione Falletto, Serra Lunga, and Monforte d'Alba are the elevation are part of the elevation area of Barolo, which is the most ancient, oldest soil we have in the Lange. Um, then in in this part in the elevation area, the soil is richer of grey white marls. Marl is a composition of calcareous deposits, white sands, and clay. In uh, in the elevation area, you really have a higher percentage of limestone of clay. So this is really a very very dry soil, extremely poor of organic matter. Um, reach of microelements like uh, borum and potassium, and uh, the plants there they, they really suffer for a water shortage during the summer. It's really very very dry. In the uh, Tortonian area, um, you have a younger soil. Of course, it's not a young soil because I'm talking about uh, um, six to eight millions of years ago. So the Lange soils is very ancient. It's a sedimentary mar- marine soil. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in the past, in the tertiary era, it used to be the sea there. And the soil um, is created from the sea, so it's a sedimentary soil with deposits. And still today, you can find some fossils in the soil. And it's made of different substrates, different layers. And so if you have small differences in the percentage of clay, sands, or uh, or calcareous deposits, you really have different results in, in in, in in the wines. And in the Tortonian areas, the Barolo, they are more known to be more elegant with beautiful nuances and aromatics on the nose and with important tannins, but just more delicate and softer and a little bit rounder. While Barolos from the elevation area, they are the most long-lasting and powerful, so big tannins made for aging, really. And what other changes have happened at the winery since the early 80s when you started doing single vineyard releases? The the, the most important changes? First of all, I think important thing is that um, in 1997, my aunt Christina, she started to be involved in the the production. And she's, by the way, the first woman of Odero family uh, as a winemaker after many, many generations of uh, men. Um, she studied uh, agronomic sciences at the University of Torino, and so what she wanted to is really to focus on the vineyards operation. We didn't change our winemaking style. We didn't um, add any new technology to our vinification processes, but uh, really what we did and what she did especially is to improve the vineyard operations and uh, just adding small details of care everywhere, more knowledge, more uh, accurate and prompt operations. And uh, I think she really um, uh, added an improvement to the quality of our our grapes, also lower hills. And uh, nowadays she's uh, so passionate about uh, organic cultivation. And we started in 2009 to practice organic cultivation. We, we wanted to start step by step. 
because uh, in Piemonte is uh, more difficult to be organic than in uh, Sicily or in Tuscany. Uh, we have, uh, as I said before, more rains, so it's more difficult to manage the, the operations in the vineyards. And also, we do not own a unique plot of land, but uh, these vineyards are extremely diversified, so you really need to be able to act at the prompt time, uh, at the same time, maybe in different areas. So we need to hire uh, more employees, more workers. They know what they have to do. And uh, so we wanted to start gradually with organic cultivation. And we first started with Bricco Chiesa, which is the vineyard, which is uh, all around the house, the winery, with Brunate in La Morra, with Rocche in Castiglione Falletto, and with Gallina in Neve. And we obtained uh, excellent results. And nowadays, almost all the 17 hectares we own planted with Nebbiolo grape are converted in organic cultivation. This is uh, important because uh, we believe we, it's not only a fashion thing. You know, nowadays everybody requests uh, organic cultivation. The first thing the people, they ask me is, are you organic? <laughs> but for us, uh, uh, it's not a marketing thing. Uh, when we say something, we really want to, 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 to do what we say. So we, we started gradually, but we are there and we are very happy with our results. We see differences in the grapes and this is the most important thing, to have healthy grapes. When you have healthy grapes, there is no need to, to add anything to them. And uh, Maria Cristina Uran also brought in Luca Vecchio. Yes, uh, yes. And how did, how did you find Luca and what does he do? <laughs> so Luca... Um, uh, um, I can uh, look at, I can say he's like part of the family nowadays because he has been working with us uh, uh, since 2001 vintage. So it's many years he is with us and uh, he is a young guy from Valle Talloria, so in, uh, close to Grinzane Cavour. Uh, he used to go at Enologica School in Alba. And when he finished, uh, he, he started to work at another winery for just two years. And then he joined us. My aunt, she, before being a winemaker for Odero, she, she was a teacher. She was a professor and, uh, in, and at Enologica School and uh, at another high school in Alba. So she knew many professors at Enologica School. And uh, one of them uh, told her, this is a very good guy and uh, you should uh, know him, meet him and talk with him. So finally they met and in 2001 they started together and uh, he was a great help for Cristina because uh, at first when she started she encountered some difficulties with uh, my grandfather and with uh, his brother Luigi and, and, and so Luca really helped her, in, I mean in the everyday work, in the support also, in the moral support. And nowadays he's responsible for our wines, so we do not have a wine consultant, but uh, our wines are made only by Cristina, by Luca, by our, our team. And uh, yeah, I, I can say it's not so easy to find people. It is uh, difficult to, to find uh, good people with uh, good uh, expertise, but also people that uh, they work for you as they were working for their family. And Luca really is. He works with us like he is part of the family. And so we are very lucky to have him. He is very passionate about wines. I think he has a good 
good palate and is very loyal to the tradition. So we are, you know, growing, growing together. And because when he started to work with us, he was very young. He was like uh, 21, 22 years old. So <laughs> is, is labor sometimes a problem in, in Italy in terms of getting people to do what you want them to do? Mm, yeah. In timely fashion? <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to find good people, I think, everywhere. But uh, in, in Italy especially, it's difficult to find uh, Italian people because um, we, have always, we always need help, especially in the vineyards. But uh, the people, they, the, the young, the new generation, which is coming to help us in the vineyard operation is not Italian. So we have a good team of workers. They come from eastern part of Europe, especially from Bulgaria. Because, oh, okay. uh, yeah, because uh, they have knowledge, they, they, they grow vines in Bulgaria, and so it's part of their tradition. And the many people, they come to the Lange uh, to, 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 for the harvest, and some they stay all year long because we like each other. And so it's like a, a big family because we have some apartments in Santa Maria, and some of them, they can stay there with us all year long. Oh. Yeah. So we have, um, all year long, we hire about um, 15 people for our venues operation. And then in certain moments, like uh, springtime, June, July, and then during the harvest season, we have to hire more people to help us because so, it's... Uh, so you need like about one person per two hectares kind of thing? Yeah, we estimated we need about 300 hours of work per hectare per year. This is a lot. <laughs> For us, uh, the cost of uh, employees, uh, of workers, is the, the most expensive. It's very, very important. Also because in many vineyards, because they are so steep, it's not possible to go with tractors. So... All the works, they are done by hand. They are manual works. I'm talking about like the Barbera in Vincchio d'Asti. The vineyard we own is beautiful, but it costs us so much because it's, first of all, it's far away. So we need 40 minutes to go there with the tractor. And then uh, it's so steep and the rows, they are so narrow. It's not possible to go with, uh, with, the, with the machine, with the tractor. So every, every, every operation, every single operation is done by hand. And um, also in Rocca and Castiglione, everything is done by hand. And especially now with the organic cultivation, we do not use chemical um, treatments to remove the weed. So everything is mechanical, is done by hand with, um, um, you know, to, to, to cut the grass. So many, many more hours of work. But when I look in those vineyards, it seems like there has been a lot of work done. In in, in Mondoka and in, in Busia, you've raised the trellising. Yeah. In, in Roque, as in Mondoka, you've added hail netting and in yes. Brunate, you've changed the posts in terms of their wooden posts now. Yes. So that seems like that would have been quite a bit of work uh, yeah. for the team. Exactly. Many, many investments uh, in the vineyards. And uh, this means, you, as you say, just little details. Uh, but these small details, they become huge differences in 10 years' time in the, in the grapes, in the results you have with the wines. So... Uh, nowadays, on, only especially now, we can really see uh, the differences that Christina introduced back uh, at the end of the 1990s. 
because uh, the new vintages of Barolo that we have, I'm um, talking about 2009, 2010, and 2011, so still in the barrel, they really are the wines she wanted to have. But in, in the agricultural work, when, when, when you want to see a result, you don't have to, to rush. You have to be patient. You have to see the results in 10, 15 years' time. And it, it does seem like uh, there have been some changes in the winery as well in terms of um, doing some experimentation. Um, it seems like there's, there's Austrian cooperage now. And then also... In terms of making the wine, you you were experimenting with with holding the cap of the grapes uh, yeah. down with stakes. Yes, yes. So we we started to buy uh, our barrels from a very good tonnellerie in Austria, which is named Stockinger, Franz Stockinger, and it's located in the southern part of Austria. The oak comes from the forest there, and uh, it's very similar quality as the Slavonian one. Nowadays, it's a bit a little bit more difficult than in the past to find good Slavonian oak. So that's why we wanted to try and to see the, the, the most similar quality. And we chose Stockinger because it works very seriously. And so every year we are gradually replacing our old barrels and we are buying like three, four new new barrels from Austria, different sizes, because it really uh, pr produces the barrels, m makes the barrels for, for our necessities, for our vineyard size, because for us it's one vineyard, one barrel. So really mm, we need the, the, the size according to the vineyard uh, necessity. And we are very happy with uh, our barrels, a very good quality of oak. This is uh, very neutral, very severe, austere kind of oak, so does not influence with an aggressive uh, aromatics, uh, the, the Nebbiolo or the Barbera. So we are very happy right now. Uh, about the submerged cap, uh, this is an experiment, but probably the word experiment is not the correct one because uh, this is what uh, it's traditional in the Lange Hill, Hills. And so this is what uh, my grandfather and his father, they used to do in the past. It's a typical way of uh, maceration, which is very extremely soft and delicate. So you don't break the cap, you don't move but uh, with pumping over, but you just put some uh, wooden pieces on top of the of the barrel, so that uh, they they have a pressure and the the, the, the skin they stay on the top, and uh, you just leave the, the the tank like this for a very long period. So um, after the twenty fifth day of uh, regular alcoholic fermentation maceration, we put these uh, wooden uh, pieces, and uh, the total period of maceration is uh, sixty sixty two days with natural temperature. So it's just very slow, long, but much more delicate and softer. And we tried to use this technique again in a, for the first vintage in 2009. We, we wanted to try with uh, Brico Chiesa Vineyard, which is uh, the, the closest one. Uh, and so one barrel was done in this way, and the other one was in the regular way. And by regular way, I mean uh, it's 30-day maceration with regular pumping over. 
and then uh, we we tasted the wines and uh, at the first for the first year we were not so happy with the old technique cappello sommerso because less fruit mm, it was very close very tight and this vineyard we use uh, to produce our classical barolo which is generally the most approachable one so we didn't uh, believe this was the right way so that's why in 2010 we decided not to repeat but what happened is that after two years, so in 2011, of course, we taste the wine uh, very frequently. We completely changed our mind because the, 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 the wine from that barrel was uh, so rich, so, so intense, so deep, good structure. But then the aromatics, they developed after some time. And so we um, nowadays we are doing these uh, every year for the Barolo Classico only, not on all the vineyards. And you also started to uh, age some of the wines longer before release. Yes, <laughs> yes, and this is um, another big investment for us because uh, we have many vineyards, many single vineyard selection, and uh, you really need more space to, to keep all the bottles for a longer period before release on the market. So what we decided is to have a 10 years reserva for our Vigna Rionda. Uh, Vigna Rionda has always been a five years reserva for, for us, but starting with 2006 vintage, the wine will be released um, after 10 years, so 1st January 2017. Um, this is a big decision nowadays, especially with the economic period, um, because uh, we have to keep the bottles, we don't have the money for the wine, but Vigna Rionda really needs time, and so it is worth waiting. Um, the, the Barolo from Vigna Rionda is uh, one of the most uh, important in terms of tannic contents and so aging potentials. And Vigna Rionda, when it's young, the nose is really very in, not expressive. It's really tight and uh, close. And we don't want to, to put on the market and to offer to our customers a wine which cannot be appreciated and understood. Because Vignarionda is <laughs> probably one of the best Barolos. And we want the people to understand uh, this. So that's why we prefer to keep the wine for a longer period. And after 10 years, the wine is ready. is ready to, 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 to be appreciated. Of course, can age longer, but... And you're doing something similar with Brunate? Brunate and Bussia both, they, we judge every vintage according to the vintage characteristics and uh, they can be uh, five years reserva or released after four years. Depends on the vintage. It's not a marketing thing, but really we taste the wines and we decide. Um, for example, uh, 2006 vintage of Brunate and Bussia is just um, available now. So we just started to sell this vintage for these two vineyards right now in 2013, while 2007 vintage was uh, released last year, you know, so. <laughs> and what has been the reception uh, that you've found over the years to Barolo in different markets of the world? Okay, um, when I started to, to work full-time for, for the winery, uh, I'm talking about uh, six years ago, seven years ago, 
I immediately started to come to the U.S. three, four times a year. My aunt, she said, you have to go, you have to learn uh, to meet the people and learn uh, just uh, traveling and, and, and meet the customers. And I can say that United States is really the most important market right now for our wines because uh, not only there is uh, um, interest for this wine, but there is also pro professional attitude to the wines. So all the people in the wine business that I meet, they really want to know all the small details. They really care about the differences of, uh, of the terroir. They really want to learn and they want to be good ambassadors of our wines to the, to the, to the customers and so that more people get to know Barolo and Barbaresco. And so uh, this is market where we work very, very well because you can have this synergy also with the with the people in the in the restaurants in the import the wine importers or the, the journalists and this is very very important in my opinion um of course europe is a historical market for us especially switzerland germany and austria even if nowadays things have changed a little bit and so the sales are much slower than in the past we sell very well in the UK and the northern part of Europe, so Scandinavian countries. We just started in China, little by little. What's I, that experience like? Oh, I I enjoyed a lot to, to visit there. For me, it was very, very interesting to discover a completely different culture than ours. And I was then there three times. Uh, and uh, I think this is a very important moment to be there. So it's important for producers like us to go there and and explain our our richness and our uh, territory to them. Uh, today, the consumption of uh, Piedmontese wine is not big at all. So it's a very little niche. And uh, also the volumes we sell are very, very small. But it's good to go there now, to invest there now and thinking about the future because China will surely be a very important market in the future years. Japan is a historical market. They know very well good quality wines from all over the world. So has always been a historical market for Barolo. And Australia too is starting to buy. So oh, I didn't know that. Is yeah. that true? Yes, yes. I've never been there. I wish I could go. but It's a long flight. It's a long flight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've seen in terms of the bottles that make it to this country, some, um, some changes on the label in terms of how the same vineyard is represented. You know, with the Mandoka, sometimes it's been Busia Soprana de Mandoka. Sometimes yeah. it's been. <laughs> so, what is behind that? Those changes, and and are there uh, regulations that have changed surrounding vineyard use? Yes, now there is the new regulation, uh, which uh, was officially fixed, I think, uh, 2009-2010 by the Consortium di Tutela Barole Barbaresco, so for the crews. Finally, the, all the crews, they were of limited and officially put on the map and, um, and registered on the law. And so there are 181 crews for Barolo. And so the regulation on the labeling processes have been stricter, uh, which means that um, now you have to write the denomination first and then the name of the vineyard, the Menzione Geografica. 
and uh, for example Bustia Soprana will change again because it will not be no more named Soprana or Sottana but just Bussia because Bussia is the name of the vineyard it's the name of the crew and so on our Barolo no more Mondoca no more uh, Soprana it will be only Bussia um, but it's the exact same vineyard it's just that yeah, the yeah, naming yeah. is strange exactly we didn't change it's a, the same vineyard but just uh, more um, it's a different uh, way of um, of labeling but just because uh, the, I think the intention the objective uh, is to have things clearer for the consumer uh, to understand all the different uh, vineyards and uh, also they decided to fix precisely the limit of the cruise so it's good that everybody respects these in my opinion then there are of course some particular <laughs> things that uh, are a bit more complicated so for instance people were calling vineyards like you call uh, Brico Fiasco and Castiglione Filetto mm -hmm. other people call that Brico Fiasco in the yeah. past, but that's the same vineyard. Same vineyard, yes. Brick del Fiasco is just Piedmontese dialect. Um, it's uh, the way to say Brico del Fiasco in our dialect, but nowadays will be Brico Fiasco. So yeah. everyone, every producer of Brolo from that vineyard is going to call it the same thing going mm. forward. Yes, I think so. Even because uh, they are making uh, severe controls uh, in our area to check these and uh, last two weeks ago i heard that uh, a producer was has been controlled so oh really has been controlled the, the the police they they look at the website they go on the website they see the labels on the website are not correct so they come to the winery and they check all the labels wow of course these regulations started with 2010 vintage for barolo while started with 2008 vintage for barbaresco so i see before uh, they cannot, they cannot uh, control. Yeah. So if I looked at a vertical of of Mondoka from Odero, <laughs> the label has changed a few times, or will change a few times. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, um, what about blending different vineyards together in terms of how you can label that? Is that affected at all? Yeah, this is a this is a problem because uh, you cannot. Uh, put uh, the different names of the crews on on the main label mm, so barolo classico it's it will only be barolo docg with no indication of uh, the vineyards because uh, this is not a single vineyard selection so you you are allowed to write the name of the vineyard only if it's 100% grapes from this specific vineyard and this can be a problem, especially for producers like I know my good friend uh, Marta Rinaldi. At this, I, I think she has this kind of problem because she, it's what is tradition for her family is always to blend the, the, the two vineyards and to, to, to name the wine after these two vineyards. We um, always called the Barolo Classico just Barolo. So we don't have a big change in the labeling. Because that's a wine that includes wine from several different vineyards. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, it includes grapes from uh, Bricco Chiesa and Capalot from La Morra and Bricco Fiasco from Castiglione Falletto. So if you wanted to, you wouldn't be able to indicate that on the front label in the future? Um, I, I will not be yeah. able, so maybe I can use a back label, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's if this is allowed. It's still a little lazy. Yeah, yeah. And do you buy in any grapes that are there, or is it all owned vineyards? It's uh, all owned vineyards. We do not buy grapes, so everything is produced with our own estate grapes. And I am 
proud to say this because uh, it's very important to to have uh, the, the personal uh, control on uh, on your own vineyard. So really for us, 99% of our work, of our efforts uh, are done in, in the vineyard operations. And was at one point there a split between Giacomo and Luigi in terms of uh, the vineyard holdings? Yes. So my grandfather and his brother Luigi, uh, they've been working together all their lives, but um, at the end of the cooperation, they there were some you know some difficulties in the everyday work just uh, caused by different objectives. Future goals were different, and so it's not uh, anymore so practical to to work in this way. So we decided to, uh, to to separate, to separate the company, to split, and uh, we kept the main crews. I mean, the historical vineyards. We we maintained the historical winery, the historical Odero brand, Odero label is our property, as well as the old historical crews. So Rocca di Castiglione, Villero, Brunate, Bussia, they are our property. The only vineyard that they also have is Vigna Rionda in Serra Lunga. So we own Vigna Rionda and they also have a parcel of Vigna Rionda. This is the only vineyard that is uh, still uh, property of both of, uh, of the two wineries. But uh, if you think of all the other crews, the, the important vineyards, they are our property. And this is only because uh, we really had a different uh, objective, a different um, philosophy, and they, they chose uh, their own pattern. It happens, unfortunately, even in the best families. <laughs> so uh, there are two different Oderos for Rionda in terms of bottling. Yes, yes. But uh, I don't think they have the Reserva Rionda. I think they release uh, the Barolo after three, four, four years. After the four years, yes. And of course, um, it's a very small production for both of us because uh, Vigna Rionda is uh, 2,500 bottles per year. And going forward, what, what's going to be some of the new things or objectives that you're moving towards? I mean, I remember at one point Maria Cristina saying that they were trying for a UNESCO World Heritage uh, status on Brunate. Are there other yeah. things that are sort of in the works that you're moving toward? Yes. Well, uh, as I said before, first of all, uh, the organic cultivation, so to extend organ organic cult cultivation to all our vineyards, so the 35 hectares, so not only concerning the Dembiolo, but all our varieties, this is our future objective. And for sure, it will require many years, a lot of time, because we need to, to know the best way to manage it. Then uh, Christina is personally involved in the UNESCO, which uh, heritage, world heritage. So they are still judging if the Lange Hills have uh, can be included in uh, in the UNESCO heritage. And at the first time, they wanted to uh, exclude the La Mora La Mora area and Santa Maria. And so Cristina was very passionate about uh, you know promoting uh, the La Mora area and. Uh, she, Together with other per people from Santa Maria, they they wrote uh, some documents and uh, to, to demonstrate that uh, this is an area which is uh, very good to be included in the UNESCO. 
Um, I think important uh, objective for my family is also to improve the communication because, um, and I am now responsible for this. I am now in charge of this project because uh, um, my family <laughs> has always been uh, uh, they, my grandfather and his brother, they are very good farmers. They have always concent been concentrating their efforts in, in, in the vineyards. They, mm, they didn't go, they didn't travel so much in the past years. They didn't go and be ambassadors of, of, the, of their name around the world. And so mm, I think this is one thing we need to do and I need to do now. And so in... I am responsible now for bringing our our goal, uh, our objectives and our principles around the world. And so to offer a good service to the customer, which means a very, very easy and simple information uh, in an in a, in a easy way. And what's <clears throat> your own connection to, to wine? I mean, are there um, wines that have been particularly meaningful to you if I were to say to you what was a time that you really enjoyed with a glass of wine what what might come to mind uh, well my story uh, with wine is uh, a little bit different than the one of uh, my friends uh, my my age they are winemakers in in the Barolo area because uh, I didn't go to enological school and I didn't study winemaking at university but uh, I chose a different pattern at first so I studied the uh, um, classic literatures and then economics at university and only after I, I decided, uh, and it was really a spontaneous choice, to go back to my roots and to go back to, to wine and to, to, to work with uh, Christina and with our family estate. So um, it was a really conscious uh, choice. And uh, I started to, as everybody in the Lange, to enjoy the typical wines of the region. So I, I used to drink uh, Moscato when I was seven years old because my grandmother used to uh, give a little glass of Moscato in the afternoon while having the merenda, we call, which is a little snack in the afternoon. And then, uh, of course, Barbera and Nebbiolo. And I am in love with Nebbiolo. I think there is no uh, comparison with the elegance that Nebbiolo can offer. And so sometimes for, for me, it's uh, difficult, you know, to, to really appreciate uh, wines that are very different than ours. I don't know if I can explain well this. My palate is very used to our own wines. It's very classic. But uh, I enjoy um, tasting uh, wines from different uh, regions and uh, especially for the white wines. I love the white from uh, the Sauvignon Blanc, from uh, Friuli, the typical wines from uh, Friuli and uh, also the Riesling and Kerner from uh, Alto Adige. Um, <clears throat> I love, of course, uh, pin Pinot Noir, uh, well, Burgundy Pinot Noir, if I have the chance, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy a lot. And um, um, I, I love to taste uh, the Nebbiolo from uh, northern part of Piemonte and Valtellina. And uh, I also tasted recently some uh, interesting Nebbiolos from, uh, you know, the Oregon area. Very different expressions, but interesting. <laughs> So if I can ask, how old are you uh, these days? Uh, I am 20, almost 29 years old. And yeah. do you see generational change in the Piemonte 
Yes, yes. And this is something I am very excited about and very proud of because uh, um, I think in the Lange there are many, many uh, good uh, good people, new generation that are personally involved in taking care of their family wineries. And uh, this was not an obliged choice like in the past because nowadays uh, we, we are in, 2000, in the 2000 years, so we have so many opportunities and if somebody wants to study medicine and become a doctor or study law and become a lawyer, it, it's possible. They just can follow their own passion. So the people that now are involved in, uh, in the family cellars in the Lange, it was really their, their choice to be there. And uh, they all are uh, young, like me, both boys and girls. So it's also a nice thing to see many, many girls, many women involved, uh, both in the winemaking processes, uh, both in the, in, the, in, the, in the traveling and in the communication and in the sale. And uh, this is not typically a women uh, environment, especially in Italy. This is a very man-dominated uh, world. But nowadays things have changed and so many girls are personally involved in this. And uh, for example, next week uh, in the Lange Hills in Alba, there is Nebbiolo Prima event and uh, we are organizing a small group of uh, young wine producers, a nice tasting to the people, to the journalists. And uh, it's me, Marta Rinaldi from Rinaldi. It's Claudio Viberti from Giovanni Viberti, Pietro Colla from Colla and Eleonora Barale from Barale Fratelli in Barolo. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, we are having a tasting together and uh, like a discussion about our uh, our own experiences uh, with the winemaking, with our work, uh, our future objectives. And I think this is important to communicate to the people that uh, we are we are there and we are passionate and we work in a professional way. And more than in the past, we have very good relationship uh, with each other. So we are not competitive. Competi competitors, but we also share um, many similar um, uh, objectives and uh, principles, and uh, we we work together well. And so we are having a nice tasting. We both show one old vintages made by our parents and one new current release, uh, which is more our our vintage. So I'm very excited about this. <laughs> Well, I wish you can continued success on your wine journey. Thanks oh. so much for being here. Thank you, Levi. Thank you for the opportunity. Grazie. <laughs> Isabella Odero of the Poderi Odero Winery in Santa Maria in Lamora. Thank you again. Thank you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levi Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose, and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L-drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.